to make a rich, smooth cold brew. Tim Horton steeps 100% Arabica beans for 16 hours. What could be richer than that? Well, uh... How about blending in swirls of sweet Irish cream? Rich enough? Ooh, I guess. Not quite, because Tim Hortons tops that cold brew with the cloud of sweet cold foam. Now, what could be richer than that? Nothing? Exactly. Irish cream cold brew with cold foam now at Tim Hortons. Or try cold foam on any of your Tim Hortons favorites. Modifications extra for a limited time at participating U.S. locations. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecki is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Gwilda Wiecki's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Science of Magic or endorsed in any manner by Gwilda Wiecki, Relmar McConnell Media Company, its affiliated networks, stations, or employees. Welcome to the Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecka, a program dedicated to uncovering the unified nature of reality and humanity's ever-evolving place as truly galactic beings. For more information on the Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecka, visit us online at www.thescienceofmagic.net. there and welcome to the science of magic a program combining the science and magic of today's leading topics to co-create new solutions and promote evolutionary thinking i'm your host Gwilda Wiecka. this hour we'll be exploring the ancestors many shamanic practices across the ages work extensively with their ancestors the choctaw for example held their ancestors in such high regard that they used to carry the bones of their dead with them when the tribe moved from one location to another All of my shamanic teachers had ancestors who returned from the other side as helping spirits. My teachers would perform a shamanic journey to those old ones when they needed guidance and access to ancient wisdom. Many times while serving as a death doula, I personally have witnessed the ancestral spirits of my clients coming to help them cross. In modern times, many families live apart and aren't as interconnected as they used to be. As a result, much of the wisdom of the elders has been lost. When we consider everything expresses according to frequency, and DNA is a frequency code, we all carry potential access to our ancestral lineage and knowledge in our physical bodies. Is there a way we can still work with our ancestors, even if they're on the other side? What do the old ones have to offer us? Can we possibly re-access their wisdom and guidance to help us through these challenges of today? What is the science behind tapping into the ancestral coding in our DNA? 
With us this hour to explore this intriguing topic is Daniel Four. Daniel is a licensed psychotherapist and a doctor of psychology. He's led ancestral and family healing intensives throughout the United States since 2005. He's an initiate in the West African tradition and is trained with teachers of the Mahayana Buddhism, Islamic Sufism, and different indigenous paths, including the old ways of his European ancestors. His website, ancestralmedicine.org. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us on The Science of Magic. Thank you. It's good to be here. I'm sure you noticed I very carefully avoided attempting the pronunciation of the African tradition you were initiated in. <laughs> would sure. you mind? Would it's you mind? A Ifa or Orisha tradition. It's based in Yoruba speaking uh, West Africa or Southwest Nigeria and present throughout the African diaspora as well. So, What is uh, Mahayana Buddhism? Uh, Tibetan Zen Buddhism, uh, evolutionary or historically later expressions of Buddhism that emphasize bodhisattva ethics. And I'm not, I'm not a teacher of that system. I've done maybe seven or eight week retreats and just have a big respect for the Dharma and the, uh, and the practice and the ethic of bodhisattva. Yeah. Is it one of the traditions that had a shamanic base to it? I know a lot of Buddhism does. Well, Shema, I think the Dharma in general has a relational attitude and recognizes that living humans may need to interact with other than humans, whether they be ancestors or um, spirits of the land, of animals, plants, etc. And so I think Buddhism, like many systems that evolve outside of their ancestral homeland, take on a lot of the uh, elements of local culture and get assimilated by local culture and vice versa. And so it depends a bit on where the any given expression of Buddhism is practiced. But yeah, for sure. And it's more, uh, Buddhism has many different, uh, many diverse expressions. And often there's an animistic or shamanistic element to some of those, for sure. Nice. So where'd you learn the uh, old ancestral ways of the Europeans? Well, I studied pagan traditions, which are almost entirely a revival of older ways, so reconstruction or reinvention, if you will, revisioning of older ways. I've studied uh, contemporary shamanic practice, which is, again, a sort of a mixture of things and a kind of well, a we're, we're going to have to pick up with the shamanic practice on the other side of a short break but before we pause I'd like to tell you all about an exciting upcoming provision for those interested in spiritual evolution and personal empowerment shamanic style path home shamanic art schools galactic shamanism art of the ancients key to tomorrow is a series of leading edge online affordable classes designed to guide and support you and your family during these times of transition they'll be coming soon to findyourpathhome.com daniel and i will return shortly so don't go away you're listening to the science of magic aired daily on xzbn.net prior episodes can always be accessed free of charge on our website thescienceofmagic.net
This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our guest this hour is Doctor of Psychology and author of Ancestral Medicine, Rituals for Personal and Family Healing, Daniel Four. His website, ancestralmedicine.org. Daniel, we were just starting to talk about shamanism as it applies to your ancestral studies. Sure. I, uh, my, my own background is eclectic. I certainly have uh, learned from the, uh, what's available from the older ways of my blood ancestors who are German, English, Irish early colonizers or settlers to North America. And I've trained in other systems as well. And what I aim to make available to folks is um, approach to ancestor reverence and ritual that's cross-cultural, that's accessible, that's applicable in a lot of different uh, settings. And so people can find their own style, their own religious angle into that work. But there's enough common ground among diverse traditions of ancestor reverence that my intent was to reinfuse that basic sensibility and pragmatic uh, ritual skill set in the West of it. It's really needed now, don't you think? Because we, we aren't just one nationality anymore. And I find that people align better with uh, a practice that's from their nationality or mix of nationalities. Is that is that what you've been working with? Many people feel more at home with traditions that are found among their recent blood ancestors, but not all. And so I don't have the view that people inherently ought to do that. But if we're going to practice a tradition that's not of our blood, uh, it's important to come with even more humility and respect and sensitivity. Of, of course, in, with an awareness of the history of the double genocide that this nation and the United States, at least, is founded upon and much of the rest of the Americas with harms toward Native people and African people, and to know that there's a, a lot of systemic and interpersonal harm and injustice that continues today. And so if we're, for example, of European ancestry going to practice a, 
West African tradition as I do. And it's important to be in proactively healthy reciprocal relationships with the Yoruba elders that I work with. And in order to not re-aggravate old harms and play into an old pattern of colonizer mentality and power over. Yeah, beautifully stated. How did you get interested, Daniel, in ancestral healing to start out with? Well, I was drawn to relating with spirits, shamanism, whatever all that is, at a, as a teenager. Because I had experiences that cracked me open a bit. So I sought a framework for that. I did a degree in religious studies. I started training early with teachers and ritual and ceremony. And my first teachers encouraged me to engage with my own blood ancestors, which was very helpful and very supportive to me. And I ran with it after that and did a lot of family research. I did, a, of course, my, my training as a therapist and doctor of psychology and just really leaned into that particular mystery around relating with especially blood lineage, uh, human ancestors. And so it's become a bit of a specialization in the last 10, 15 years. Nice. So what exactly are the ancestors? Yeah, sure. In the, in the broadest sense, ancestors can refer also to the bear, the trees, the wind, the fire. And sometimes when people say it like that, they mean that their human dead are speaking through those others. Sometimes they mean that the others really are also ancestors, which is also very beautiful and magical. And for me, I limit the way I talk about the ancestors to the human dead or the human energy or souls or spirits that are not incarnate right now but which dwell in the present and are available for connection all the same. And more narrowly, the ancestors are those among the dead who are well in spirit, safe to relate with, in contrast to the ghosts, the not yet ancestors, the troubled dead. So not all the dead are equally well, just like not all the living are equally well. And it's a really important point of discernment for folks who are drawn to engage with the dead. What I see in a lot of folks who choose to engage the ancestors is there's not necessarily as uh, as much discernment or emphasis on ritual safety as I might favor myself in that work, just knowing how much uh, trouble and suffering continues among among the dead, at least among the lineages of people that I have the privilege to work with. That's a really important point, because um, in all the shamanic practices that I've studied, there's a very strict provision to be able to tell when you're talking to a ghost or when you're talking to the spirit of an ancestor. Um, just because they're dead doesn't mean they're smart, and you can be misguided if you can't tell the difference. And yet, now we have a lot of gifted people that don't have the training, and they can get in trouble, can't they? It's true, and not from any bad intent, but there's a lot of buzz around the topic of ancestry, partly because we need a lot of cultural healing and a lot of that's coming even more to the surface now. And so even white people are getting excited about cultural healing a bit and it's good and it can lead to a kind of enthusiastic naivete of just diving into relating with the dead as if it's inherently safe. And it's about as safe as relating with living humans. They really run the full spectrum from harmful to helpful. And right, so, just stand on the street of New York and trust everybody that you see, right? Yeah, it's a bit like that. And it doesn't mean you should be afraid or that you shouldn't engage. It's just that there's a need for discernment. And there are some skills that are relevant to learn. We, we tend in the West to think that we're uh, supposed to automatically know how to do all things spiritual. And it's, uh, it's a problematic view. I think it yeah, comes it really a, a bit out of like uh, aversion to authority and whatnot. It's understandable because a lot of people misuse power. And at the same time, there's a need to learn some things 
and maybe even train with teachers a little bit and not reinvent the wheel. So it's, it's true. The discernment's important. Yeah, you know, and I find, you know, in our new age, age communities, a lot of people take a little bit from here, a little bit from there, go off half-cocked, and uh, tout themselves in authority. And, and I, it, I think it's a disservice to the the original practices, and it's a disservice to the people that are relying on them for the information. It's true. It's a dynamic I see at play, for example, in the realm of what people call cultural appropriation or disrespectful engagement of established cultures and what some of it has to do with an insensitivity to the history of colonialism and racism and power dynamics and some of it has to do with the fact that many folks don't understand the depth of training that's required just yeah, to, that's to be a, a success yeah successful ritualist and to not unintentionally harm people so it's true yeah. it's important to be humble and to understand that if you're just having a spiritual opening it's going to take at least a decade to become not annoying it just, and that's okay. It's a normal developmental process. Just keep seeking out good teachers and good therapy and good healing, and, and that's okay. So there's a lot of inner work that's needed to become a grown-up. Yeah, that is the key, isn't it, is that inner work. So if they're dead, Daniel, how do we talk to them? Does ancestral healing use a form of mediumship? Uh, I'm, mm, yes and no. It's my intent to keep the work as very simple, accessible, and pragmatic as possible. And so the ways that we have direct contact or communication with the dead can include just tuning in in the moment, which is my usual go-to practice. Uh, if it's a group that I'm guiding through a process, sometimes I use a drum to encourage a state of light trance or receptivity with guided intent. And dreams can be a time of contact, synchronicities or events that happen with the sense of charged meaning or presence from the dead. And we can, if we're in some sort of altered state, whether it's from fasting or from substance or from, you know, near-death experience, something like that, that can render us more open to contact with them. But it's actually quite common. And reclaiming that ability is, is a, a natural ability is an act of repairing cultural damage and challenging the unspoken agreement that only other living humans are real. And if mm. you communicate with something other than that, then you're crazy or you're foolish. And so that's a, a kind of arrogance that comes from colonialism and you know, just a dismissive attitude toward the sacred. Well, you, you speak of the realm of the ancestors. What is that exactly? Well, some m many cultures have some basic model that includes this world and another world, or a seen or unseen, this like, spirit world and physical world. Of course, they're not separate, and there's a functional difference that needs somehow named, and yet those two realities intersect really deeply in many ways and many times and places. And so, in one sense, the ancestors are here. In another sense, their home base is in a slightly different dimensional reality or place, if you will. And so is, is it a question of frequency? Sure, you could think of it that way. It's uh, we don't always have the best words in English for it. Yeah. Um, but there there's one big reality that presents functionally as different rooms in the house, if you will. And so mm -hmm. and some people have more natural ability to navigate through those rooms than others and it's a, a skill that can be cultivated as well. 
Yeah. Do you think everybody can learn it? I think almost everybody. I think some folks are going to not have their intuitive um, ability to relate with the dead function like others. And so it's important to know that there are lots of ways to tap in. And it's not necessarily going to be some big visual thing or like I don't see dead people. But my ancestors will speak to me at times and in different ways. So I, I think almost everybody who is sincere can reclaim that capacity. I do. So how do you, how do you tell who you're talking to? Well, you just kind of tune in, <laughs> you know what I mean? If, if there's not a real process, just make sure that you're on the other side or whatever. How, how can you tell who you're talking to? Well, it's a, it's a good question. It takes a bit of practice over time. The, the, one of the ways is to have your trusted guides and powers with you and to have them be like an extra added layer of security, if you will, and to ask, is this one that's presenting to me safe? Are they well? Are they an ancestor along this lineage? So one is having clear intent about what you're doing there in the first place and asking, is this who I've come to meet with? And then having your other guides, your own intuition, cross-check the information, like look away, look back, really check in and trust your gut sense, which more often than not will be accurate. And just ask, ask them. And it's not so common if we're trusting our body wisdom and trusting our guides that we're going to get tricked by a spirit that presents one way, but is actually another way. But it, it takes some discernment and some practice over years of time to know when there's a little yellow flag that needs trusted in spirit work and when you, it's just mental chatter. You know, it, so, it sounds like you have a, a specific um, a ritual or a process that you use before even dropping in. Is that accurate? I do. Like I, fo I follow yeah. the the heart of the book and the heart of my work really is a systematic, safe, systematic, accessible, shareable method for repairing damage among one's blood lineage ancestors. And so how, when you recognize, for example, that a lineage of your people is not yet at peace, how do you heal that up safely and systematically? And in very succinct form, it entails connecting with much older ancestors along that lineage and calling in their support and intervention for the ones between them and you to ask that those older ones ancestralize or heal up or receive the ones who have not yet joined the ancestors. So it's a lineage-based approach. It's focused mostly on work with blood ancestors, and it's for the intent of personal family healing. Well, this gives us all sorts of stuff to take up on the on the next um, on the next um, chapter here, but it's time for another short pause. Daniel and I will return to our discussion on the other side of this break, so don't go away. We're coming to you through the Exxon Broadcast Network. You don't want to miss the other fine shows and hosts on XZBN.net. You're listening to the Science of Magic, your resource for creative solutions in a changing world. The Science of Magic.net. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, 
Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, a place where magic and science come together to promote enlightenment. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiyaka. Our guest this hour is Doctor of Psychology and author of Ancestral Medicine, Daniel Four. His website, ancestralmedicine.org. Daniel, we were just about to get into some really interesting stuff about um, healing ancestrally. And, you know, most people think, well, it's in the past, you can't do anything about it. Um, can you clarify how dealing with our dead ancestors can heal lineage? Sure. Well, one thing that's important is very cross-cultural is that you could say the dead are not dead or just no longer being physically incarnate. It is an important status change, but it doesn't mean you stop existing. There's a spirit or soul level reality or reality is plural that have continuity of consciousness after death. And it's important because our view often in the West is that our ethical, moral commitment or obligation to family ends with the death of the body. And that's uh, is tragic, really, because it complicates our grieving and it means that we've, we often fail to provide necessary support for the one who's passed to make their transition to the realm of the ancestors. And we miss out on the potential of ongoing relationship with their loved ones who continue to evolve and change and have their own journey after death. How about the descendants? If if we do ancestral healing, does it affect our children that are alive today and their children that aren't? For sure, yeah. I, the ancestors and the, and the descendants, they're the same. It doesn't, like, the ancestors aren't in the past. I don't, like, traditional cultures, as, at least from my read on it and my training in Ifa practice, the ancestors are in the present. The ones who are being born are ancestors returning. Mm-hmm. And so the ancestors are really just the ones who, in the present moment who are not physically incarnate right now. We talk so, about Earth as a marketplace and the ancestors as being home. And a trip to the Earth is like a trip to the market. Um, but the the dead, so to speak, are in the present. Yeah. So the ancestors and the descendants are all ancestors. Yes. Like the word ancestor in English is misleading because it implies past, but the you think of them as the not incarnate right now ones. And that those ones and the incarnate right now ones form two halves of a whole for humanity. Mm, which takes us down another interesting rabbit hole. <laughs> How does um, reincarnation and past life fit in here? Yeah, it's a, it's a big, good question. And I don't presume to be as kind of final authority on it. But um, for one, many cultures have the view that there are multiple souls. And so some aspects of what we are may return. Some may continue to be available as ancestors. Another thing that's true is that many cultures recognize both um, that one can return on a soul level and continue to be available as an ancestor. And think of it a bit like taking a dipper of water from a lineage or from a, a river, a current, a stream, and pouring that back into a human form. It doesn't mean the lineage ceases to be there or ceases to be available. 
And so it's a very much a both and kind of model. And with respect to past lives, it's not a focus that I've seen personally given emphasis from many of the indigenous teachers I've worked with, despite their recognition that there's some type of rebirth. And the, the thing that has a note of caution for me about emphasizing past life experience is that you could um, clock or receive ancestral contact as a past life. And when you're saying it's a past life, you, you collapse the relational field. You say, this is just a part of me. This is just me in a past life, rather than, hello, grandmothers. Good to see you. Good to see your face. Good to meet you. And so I think it's important personally to err on the side of um, understanding contact from the spirits as contact with something that's not you in order to preserve the quality of relationship. And at the same time, it's very seamless, isn't it? Isn't it? When do we cease and, and the others or the ancestors begin? It's kind of a seamless continuum, isn't it? It is, for sure. And like in our everyday life, it's, you know, being a therapist, it's important to recognize where we end and others begin. And, and especially when we're talking about blood family ancestors, we're also of that lineage. And so it's true that we are an extension of a, a much bigger system and energy. And working with uh, lineage ancestors does soften our sense of individuality and in a way that's good. It's good medicine for a feeling of being isolated. Mm-hmm. And we do so feel isolated, it seems like, in our culture today. Um, it's, it's kind of a sad state of affairs, the, the level of isolation that most people seem to experience right now. It's true. And I think another factor in that is just how much cultural wounding we are down lineage from. It's been a, a difficult last 500 years, uh, even for white people. And the thousand years before that for European ancestor people was a period of time when the indigenous earth honoring traditions of, of Europe were uh, smashed into little fragments by Roman Empire and Christianity. And so it's been a tough uh, bunch of recent centuries and we're down lineage from uh, often a lot of unhealed, unmetabolized ancestral pain. Yeah, that's the fragmentation and the disconnect that we're experiencing as a culture. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And so it's you know, one of the things I want to emphasize is that even if one's recent family are really uh, genuinely toxic and have been a source of real trauma and uh, lack of safety, etc., there are still blessings and goodness in your older ancestors that can be accessed directly in a way that's healing around your connection with family and healing doesn't doesn't mean we're necessarily going to be in touch with them if you have a restraining order out against your father because you need it and you work with the ancestors of his lineage they might be like good idea on the restraining order we encourage <laughs> yeah. you to have that mm -hmm. so they they, they don't uh, to work with the ancestors doesn't mean we open ourselves up to toxicity that's also present in our family of origin to the contrary right. it can be a way of tempering it so recognizing that, you know, all this damage has taken up roost in somebody and they may not be reliable doesn't mean we have to let that cut us off from the rest of our ancestry. That's right. Yeah. 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 So let's talk about higher self. How does that fit in here? Higher self. Yeah. Well, I, it's my view that we each come to Earth with our own unique destiny and our own soul level coordinates or things to take care of, ideally. 
And so when you say higher self, I think of memory of what we've come here to do. And the ancestors can help us to remember our specific gifts that we have brought here in order to achieve that. There's a lot of the blessings that we're walking with, whether or not they're activated, our ancestral inheritances. And so we can have clarity about our destiny, but unless we have the power and motivation to fulfill it, it's, it's a knowledge that hasn't been actualized. And so the ancestors are helpful for that. And they remember, because they've lived it, what it is to have a fulfilled life in service to the earth and the spirits and the many beings here. And so the, the best of the ancestors, they are exemplary. Uh, they're, they're models for how to be a grown-up and a well-adjusted, helpful human. Do you think, you, you talk about we have something to do, and I, I definitely believe in life purpose, work with it a lot myself. Um, do you think that that job or mission or to-do kind of is a, uh, and the next chapter is by the, the next generation coming up, do you think there's an ancestral mission, if you will? You're saying is there a larger cultural destiny or story that's playing out? Uh, no, I mean, uh, following from ancestors to the descendants, that there's kind of a, a lineage um, job that we kind of team uh, up to do. Yeah, I, I do. I do think so. I think a lot of what we are entrusted with is uh, unresolved work or inherited work from lineages. I do. I see it that way. And do you see us in a time, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about this being very intense times, very transitional times. Do you see that? And if so, how does that relate to ancestral work? Yeah, of course. I mean, we're in, we're in crisis on the planet. We're in it really deep and we're headed deeper into it. And there are 50 to 100 forms of life that will go extinct today because of human behavior. And so there's a, a tremendous amount of harm that's being played out, not to mention the harm of humans toward one another. And so I think the ancestors, and deeply, the ones who are well among the dead, the ancestors, are rooting for us to work it out. And they wish to be more consciously invited into that process and to have their energy involved in it for even better outcomes. Mm. But mm -hmm. I don't think anything's guaranteed. And I don't think it's automatic that we're going to somehow have these more aware outcomes. But I think it's possible. And so it's up to each of us to do our specific, unique part in that and lean in and be tenacious and be committed. Mm. Well, let's change tracks a little bit here. Tell us about the ancestors that come to us in dreams and, and how we can tell, if, you know, ancestral contract, contact dream from just an ordinary one. Sure. In general contact dreams from the dead tend to have a quality, I mean, it sounds kind of redundant, but there's a felt sense of them being present. We just kind of know in the way that we know when someone's been watching us, or there's this kind of feeling of like, oh, they were actually there. Now, that doesn't mean it's inherently helpful. It's important to understand, well, what's the nature of the contact? Are they in trouble? Are they asking for help? Are they coming to offer a warning, a blessing, some kind of message, or is it just a friendly visit. So there can, just like any human contact, uh, it, like if you came home and you're like, oh, I had contact with a human today, your, <laughs> your partner might be like, okay, uh, listen in. And so it's a bit like that with the ancestors and 
and and so it begs the question of what's the nature of the contact and is there anything required of us here was there an ask around it is there anything we need to do mm. and how do we figure that out well i suppose it takes practice just asking the question of is there anything do i have the sense that there's something required of me from this dream uh, is a, a good start and trusting our instinct on it trying just being open to the possibility that something may be required of it of course Spiritually speaking, one of the best kinds of protections we can have is at least one, if not a half dozen, trusted human allies who are wise and kind and also immersed in spiritual practice that we can run things by. You're like, hey, I had this dream. What's your read on it? And so cross-check it by other people. It helps so you're, us to... You're talking, about, are you talking about the ones that are incarnate now, colleagues. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Of yeah. course, you can ask your spirit helpers as well, but the risk of your own bias coming in is greater when you're doing that. But having trusted colleagues is a, is a tremendous kind of protection from getting too deep in the weeds. Boy, isn't that the truth. Do the, when the ancestors show up, and we have just a few minutes left here, when ancestors show up, do they communicate in allegory sometimes? Sure. We are challenged with them to find a common language, and so they'll communicate in symbol and story and feeling and color and um, symbol, yeah, pictures, uh, whatever, and well, events, yeah. It's time for that commercial break, so um, we'll get back on the other side. I'm really looking forward to talking more about the ancestors with Daniel. Daniel and I will be back shortly, so don't leave us now. This is the Science of Magic, your resource to altruistic professionals of science and the esoteric, working to create common ground for the betterment of our world Join our email family to receive our amazing topic-driven episode collections at thescienceofmagic.net. the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. 
Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. What's up in your world? Email me at info at thescienceofmagic.net and suggest a topic or a guest that's on your mind. You're probably not the only one interested. Our guest this hour is doctor of psychology and author of Ancestral Medicine, Daniel Four. His website, ancestralmedicine.org. Daniel, what are the collective dead? For me, the way of referring to them and as a collective dead is just to contrast with the recent or remembered dead that tend to have more individuality or specificity. And so if you ask a lot of folks in the United States, for example, tell me about your ancestors, they'll tend to tell you about individuals and about recent ones. And a lot of traditionalists around the world may include the recent individuals, but they also include lineages or groups of ancestors. And they also include those who live before remembered names. And so the, the farther back we go, generally speaking, uh, the more likely it is that we're relating with the whole lineage or group or collective of ancestors. You know, a lot of the traditions that I've worked with, and of course, shamanic is my background, speak of blood. Blood is very important. In fact, a lot of them will give blood sacrifice and this sort of thing. What can you tell us about ancestral work as it relates to the DNA? I, I do see blood as being important. It's important to not um, to make sure the shadow side of that doesn't come out because so much harm continues to be perpetuated by this idea that my ancestors or my blood is somehow better than yours. So, <laughs> so of course, uh, good to avoid that. But I do see that when the ancestors are healed and well, that that has a good effect on the bones and blood and body and DNA, if you will of us here and so making sure that our recent and more distant lineages are, are deeply healed and deeply at peace is good for our health and a lot of physical mental emotional trouble that we suffer with is it's ancestral it's intergenerational it didn't just come out of nowhere and so if we seek to have healing for the system that it's arising from that can have a good effect personally in our lives today so you're saying a lot of our predisposition to different diseases can actually be shifted if we do ancestral healing? I think so. I don't want to overclaim a thing, but I do have the view that a lot of disease and difficulty is inherited. It's ancestral. Of course, some of it's cultural and environmental, but a lot of it's ancestral. And there's a lot of unmetabolized ancestral heaviness and pain, at least in the, in the West and the United States. And so healing that up is good for the body. And so it's hard to quantify in any given case how much impact it would have. But uh, it, And even if you have a condition that's fatal, making sure that your ancestors are well in spirit ensures that you'll have a better death. Mm, they might be happier to see you, huh? <laughs> well, I mean, we're all headed there. Uh, life is fatal, right? So we are, uh, it's good to prepare for that. Otherwise, we'll be neurotic and fearful and a stress to people around us because we're not ready to die. Yeah. Mm. 
You know, I, it occurs to me that if, if we had a deeper understanding of this ancestral concept, that fear would fade a little bit. I see it that way. Yeah. And a lot of folks are afraid, uh, whether or not it's conscious, to go be with their ancestors because they understand that their ancestors are not very at peace. And so there's not a clear pathway for them after the death of the body of what happens next. Mm-hmm. And all, all that can be sorted out in this lifetime without actually too much trouble. It's really quite a relief. And if we care for older family, parents or siblings or spouse, it's great to have ancestral support in that work instead of carrying in our own energy body this fear and worry and burden around family. Mm. Why don't you share a little bit about ancestral rituals that you work with? Yeah, there are so many kinds. Most ancestor-focused ritual on Earth is uh, comes from a place of maintaining an already healthy relationship. But my specialization, and it's just the way it's played out, has been more with repair work, of repairing cultural damage. And so that uh, it lays a groundwork once there's been repair of the ancestral damage. It lays a groundwork for rituals like mediumship or celebration of the dead and annual festival or um, other kinds of trance work and you know all different kinds of celebratory and intense ways of relating with the well ancestors but a lot of what i'm focused on is uh, training others in how to guide ancestral repair work and healing work and increasingly for the intent of cultural healing as well as i think a lot of the the racism, the sexism, the, the troubles we're trying to heal up culturally are usefully framed as ancestral troubles. And we can get better results in that healing by including the ancestors in the necessary work that's already happening. Now, I, I know you can't claim things heal things, but just from your opinion, what all do you think can be healed through this work? A sense of cultural isolation and feeling like an orphan a sense of disconnect from the earth, a sense of uh, self-hatred that especially a lot of European ancestor people carry because of the history of colonialism and slavery and genocide, uh, a sense of disconnection from the earth, and um, a sense of being less than more intact indigenous cultures. So uh, those things I, I know for, with certainty can be healed up. And so um, I think a good amount of mental, emotional, physical distress can be healed, like tempered, if not healed. Mm. And our fear of death and our just fear of, by extension, our fear of being really alive and courageous. How about somebody that was adopted and really has no idea what their ancestry is? Yeah, sure. I've worked with a lot of adoptees and it's the ancestors are just as available to them. Even people who have a lot of genealogical information and grew up in a very secure family, they still only have a fraction of the understanding of their larger ancestry. And so it's important to not, um, they have a different problem. And the risk is projecting this knowledge of the last few hundred years onto the few thousand or more years before that. So adoptees, in respect to the pain that's often involved in that, can have just as deep and sustained and transformative relationship with their blood ancestors as anybody else. They're as far away as their bones and blood and body. Mm. You know, the I, the Choctaw's habit of carrying the bones of their dead, what, what, do you, what's, what do you think is behind that? 
because it's a fairly common tradition. Yeah, I don't, I can't presume to speak on Choctaw culture in that way, but I know that the bones, the remains are a point of contact with the spirits of the dead for many, many people on earth. And we see it that way. Even secular American people would frown upon desecrating a graveyard or the remains. There's an instinctual understanding that it's an ongoing link with the dead. And so it's it's a bit like carrying your ancestors with you. And it kind of can go back to the DNA or the frequency to be able to align with them, can't it? Yeah, perhaps. I, I don't see the contact with the remains as being essential for relating with ancestors. We're quite mobile and the remains are not always recovered and life's messy and complicated. But uh, having said that, the remains are sacred and it's important to relate with them with reverence in whatever way is right for you culturally. Mm. So another odd subject here is what about uh, possession? Um, are you familiar with depossession, possession, possessing spirits, and how does that relate to contact with the ancestors? Sure. The word possession uh, is, I mean, in Ifa tradition, we work with possession, intentional, uh, beneficial possession quite a lot. The word possession has a lot of racist history around it in the West from uh, European ancestry people being freaked out by the intact spirit traditions of often enslaved uh, African peoples in the Americas. And so there can be a judgmental tone to uh, possession work. But incorporation, possession, uh, runs the full spectrum from beneficial to uh, not beneficial or not voluntary. And so it's important to package, unpackage what's intended here, or what's what's meant when we're talking about it. And so, um, like in Orisha tradition, we do, yeah, we do a lot of possession work on purpose. It's quite lovely and ecstatic. And right, yeah, like the, the um, um, kachinas would actually be possessed by star beings, and that's what the dance was about, is to bring that wisdom through. So there is intentional possession that's not, that's beneficial. Yeah, and at times the dead who are not yet well are around the living or have an unhelpful way of uh, it's kind of a spirit intrusion, or, or occasionally if someone's quite fragmented, the dead are quite strong in full possession, meaning uh, that they're really speaking through the person, which is less common than the unhelpful dead just kind of weighing on a person or drawing energy from them. And so that does happen quite a bit. And it doesn't, it's not an evil thing, It's but it's not helpful either. And so we just have a bit of a cultural blind spot around it. And it's important to know how to set boundaries with the unseen or the spirit world. Not everything well, that, that, yeah, not everything's helpful that's in spirit form. Well, this has been absolutely enlightening, Daniel. It's hard to believe, but we're already out of time. Daniel, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Yeah, thank you so much. Our guest this hour has been Doctor of Psychology and author of Ancestral Medicine, Rituals for Personal and Family Healing, Daniel Four. His website, ancestralmedicine.org. This has been the Science of Magic. Join our email family to be the first to receive our thought-provoking, topic-driven episode collections at thescienceofmagic.net. Until next time, dear ones, may you be blessed with knowledge and comforted with love as you explore your ancestry. <laughs>